0: What's bigger than exhausting?
1: Exhaustamundo? Exhaustamundo. I don't know. Welcome to Charlotte Mason Says. I'm John Schindel, here with my wife, Crystal. Join us as we read and discuss the Home Education Series. So today we're talking about part four, which is some habits of mind and some moral habits. But we're going to start with the habits of mind first. And Charlotte Mason lists a couple habits of mind and then a couple habits of moral. She, she talks about the habit of attention, the habit of application, the habit of thinking, of imagining, of remembering, of perfect execution. And then she talks about some moral habits, which include truthfulness, etc. So we'll talk about moral- And
0: obedience. Obedience is um, the first one, is chapter seven. It's not in the actual oh, okay. title, but it's-
1: Right? It's the first heading.
0: Yeah, it's obedience and truthfulness, and then et
1: and there's, cetera. And there's some other ones in there. So today we're talking about attention, application-
0: No, attention.
1: We're just talking about attention. Yes, so today we're just talking about attention.
0: That we're doing the introduction and attention. So today. <laughs> what?
1: <laughs> I'm laughing at myself.
0: Okay, good. Because it's <laughs> on the schedule.
1: I know.
0: <laughs> it's, it's written out.
1: Right? Because you did schedule these out. So today we're going to be talking about the habit of attention. Yes. All right. Only took five minutes to get there.
0: Well, in the first part, she reiterates that she is writing about education with the greatest deference to mothers. She says, okay, you guys have your peculiar insight into the dispositions of your children. You're blessed with knowledge and power in the management of them, which onlookers can only admire from afar. And she is lumped into that onlookers category because she is not a mother. And she only has um, other people's children to look at. Right. And other mothers. And and she sees that lack in herself. It's not that, that she's... I, I don't think she's mourning it necessarily. She's just saying, you have an insight that other people don't have.
1: I think she's aware of it. Yeah. And, and she's probably aware of it because she's heard it from a lot of people before.
0: Uh, I guess one of the arguments against Charlotte Mason... Is that she never had children. So right. she's expecting all of these grand and lofty things without being without having the intimate knowledge of being a mother. And here she's saying, I, I know, I know I don't have that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's okay. You are special. Right. But at the same time, she says there is a science of education that does not come by intuition. So she's saying, Okay, we actually do need to study this. We do need to learn this.
1: Yeah. Well, and that is, that's something that she studied hard and for a long time. Mm -hmm. She studied different philosophies of education and really dove deep into them. And, and there's a lot of that in volume two, where she's talking about where she pulled her philosophy and from whom she pulled it.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, and a lot of it did come from even just observation of children. So we've seen how habit, for instance, is such a marvelous force in human life. And again, talks about the amazingness of habits. And it's pleasant to know that even in mature life, it is possible by a little persistent effort to acquire a desirable habit. It is good, if not pleasant, to know also what fatal ease we can slip into bad habits.
1: Well, that's true. It's true. And it's, it's easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she goes on. She says, the mother who takes pains to endow her children with good habits secures for herself smooth and easy days. While she who lets her their habits take care of themselves has a weary life of endless friction with the children.
0: And honestly, this next section, I found a lot of comfort in. Yeah. And she said, you know, it's just like the pendulum. It, it, it If it thinks about how many times it has to tick, it gets overwhelmed. Yep. But there's always a tick. There's always a time. There's always a, a, a time for it to happen. Um, she has a quote in the story of Charlotte Mason, which I, I want to get this book, but haven't yet. It says, if no time was wasted, there was plenty of it and no hurry. And that, that pendulum swinging and ticking. If there's no time wasted, you, you tick when you're supposed to tick then every tick has its own spot. Everything has its own way it does it, and it goes perfectly. So,
1: Yeah, that makes sense.
0: The other thing is, the mother devotes herself to the formation of one habit at a time, doing no more than keeping watch over those those others already formed. So that is in regards to her and the forming habits in the child. The part I loved, and we'll get back to some of this other stuff, the part I loved was, in the first place, she herself acquires the habit of training her children in mm-hmm. a given habit. So at, by and by, it becomes not only no trouble, but a pleasure to her. And we've talked about that in the last couple of chapters where habits are, become pleasurable. Habits become easy. And so the fact that you are creating habit by habit training your children makes it easier for you. That just is what you do. It's a and,
1: snowball effect.
0: And I I found a lot of comfort in that.
1: Yeah. Well, and she she even talks about that. She says, "Where does she say that?" She says, "The child who starts in life with say twenty good habits begins with a certain capital, which he will lay out to endless profit as the years go by." So she's saying he doesn't have to have all of the good habits; mm-hmm. he has to have some. He needs a he needs some. Whatever you can instill in him, that's what he needs.
0: So, I went through and looked at. The habits she lists in both this section and the previous ones. And she talks about the ones inspired by the home atmosphere. And she has cleanliness, order, regularity, neatness, punctuality, gentleness, courtesy, kindness, candor, and respect for other people. So that's 10. 10 inspired by the home atmosphere. And the mental habits affected by direct training— the a lot of what this section's on attention mental activity and of application thinking imagining remembering perfect execution and bodily activities such as you know Swedish drills the the discipline and habit of smell right. and eye etc
1: so now we're at 17 we're at
0: 17 and then she had the two moral habits of obedience and truthfulness so 19. that puts you at 19 and there's all the other habits of, um, like, when you get into the specifics in these categories of, like, various things, you know, for cleanliness, do you wash your face? Do you brush your teeth? Do you do you clean right. your nails? So there's all of those what are the, habits what are the, inside those categories. Yeah,
1: what are the parts of the habit of cleanliness?
0: Mm-hmm. And so you could say that there's way more than that, but she has 19 listed in this book. So if you want to start with 20, she's got 19 of them.
1: She has 19 of them.
0: I don't know what the other one would be. I didn't go that far. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's funny. I, yeah. And, and that's, that's interesting. I, but that's, that's something that I, as I was reading those two things together, that the mother gets into the habit of training habits and the child doesn't need to be a perfectly habit formed child to have these things be a boon in his or her life. Mm -hmm. So again, it's it's going back to that idea of Charlotte Mason is, is talking about the ideal situation and any step towards that ideal that we can take is a good thing.
0: Or that we can help our children take.
1: Uh, Right. Uh, Yeah. We as, we as us and our children. So if we can, if we can help our children attain one good habit, then good on Mm you. And if that's all that you can do, because I don't know, you came by habit training late and you just don't have that much time or whatever, whatever you can do to take one step towards that ideal is going to make things better for everyone. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And, and like you said, as you take that one step, then the next step is easier to take. And the next one after that, the next habit to train is easier because you're now getting into the habit of, of training those habits. And the other thing that she doesn't say here is that the child is going to get in the habit of learning habits. Oh, that's true. It's going to get easier for everybody as you go on.
0: So when you stand next to their jacket and stare at it, they will learn that when you stand next to something and stare at it, they need to
1: look for what they're looking for. Right. They're going to catch <laughs> on to the same thing, and they're going to catch on quicker and quicker the more times you do these things. That's true. So they're going to they're going to get into that habit too.
0: I did that today with Ian. <laughs> he, he left his jacket and his shoes at the back door, which – he has a habit of taking them off when he comes in,
1: which is good. He
0: just leaves them there.
1: <laughs> so,
0: I was like, "Ian," and called him over, and didn't say anything. I just looked. And he grabbed them and took them and put him away. Good. I was excited. Very good.
1: <laughs> I will say though, I I think the thing from the last chapter that that I that I remember and stands out to me is the conversation that happens before any habit training begins. Yeah. And that I think is one of the most important things of habit training is to get you and the child on the same page as to what you're working on right now. Well, and the other thing that does is you're you're treating the child like a person.
0: Uh, what? Again? Right? Shocking that Charlotte <laughs> Mason
1: would think that. But you're treating the children like persons in that you're bringing them into the thing. You're not, you're not habit training at them. You're not habit training to them. You're habit training with them.
0: Mm-hmm. Because it is their habit and they need to have it.
1: Right. So.
0: The part that does kind of uh, depress me, you know, as exciting as, you know, as training a habit becomes a habit, is that the habits inspired by the home atmosphere. I need to have better habits in all of these home atmospheres to make my home atmosphere be able to train the children in these ways.
1: Well, that is true.
0: So there's that.
1: Yeah, because the children they they can pick up habits by osmosis, just by they being do, around. Just,
0: and that's that's the thing: the ha- child picks up through the close observation of all that is said and done, felt and thought in his home, that the yeah. mother takes no pains about. Which is why it's honestly it's why our children don't pick up because I don't. Right. I I leave stuff lying around. I I have piles of stuff in my room. I it and that's something i am trying to work on but at the same time it's not a habit that i've always had
1: the habit of, of cleanliness is not something that sunk in for either you or i
0: yeah so it's it's an uphill battle for uh, it's an uphill battle for us and hopefully we can get them to not have that same battle <laughs> they'll have their own battles when they're adults right but hopefully we can we can Eliminate some of them. Anyways, the habit of attention is the first one, and she spends a long time
1: on this one. She does. Well, and and I think she has good reason.
0: Before we get to where she actually starts off, I'm going to define attention. And it is hardly even an operation of the mind, but simply the act by which the whole mental force is applied to the subject at hand. And the dictionary says it is notice taken of someone or something, the regarding of someone or something as interesting or important, also the mental faculty of considering or taking notice of something or someone. Hmm. So it's both the notice taken, I give you attention, or the mental faculty of considering, I'm paying attention.
1: Gotcha. So she starts off with a description of what she's talking about. She says, uh, recall the fixity of attention with which the trained professional man, the lawyer, the doctor, the man of letters, listens to a roundabout story. He throws out the padding. He seizes the facts. He sees the bearing of every circumstance. And he puts the case with new clearness and method. And contrast this with the wandering eye and random replies of the uneducated. And you see that to differentiate people according to their power of attention is to employ a legitimate test. And this is something we've talked with, I believe, both McKinsey and Kara about is that they have people in their lives who can do that, who can take the the jumble of things that are going on and reduce it to a single thing mm-hmm. and reduce the the chaos of the day to a this is the problem that I see.
0: I, I know someone who. In husband and wife counseling, his wife can elicit all of the conversation and get the conversation flowing and get all the details and everything. And and so then she's like, Oh my goodness, there's so much information. He's like, Oh, bop, 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 that's it.
1: Right. There's, there's, and so it's a great tag team. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Where, where she gets the information and he uh, can, uh, makes it concise. He but puts, that's
1: he puts the case with new clearness and method. Yep, because he's able to pay attention to the story and to the details of the story. So that's that is her start of her definition of attention. Mm-hmm. Is doing just that, is listening to all of the pieces and all of the places and making connections to things. So attention is where everything starts. And I think that's why she starts with it is because it is the most important habit for education. Because if there is no attention, Mm -hmm. then there's no way to take in knowledge and to to create connections.
0: Well, none of the others matter. The mental activity, the thinking, the imagining, the remembering, the perfect execution. If you don't have the attention to provide to your studies, they're not going to happen.
1: Right. Right. Because you're not going to learn anything. So if you don't learn anything, what's the point of remembering things? So I think that's why she, she starts with it. I think that's why she takes so long to define it. And I think that's why she takes so long to, to almost meditate on it because it is so blasted important.
0: So the mind, we will consider then the nature and the functions of attention. The mind with the possible exception of the state of coma is never idle. Ideas are ever passing through the mind, day, night, sleeping, waking, mad, sane, and we take a great too much credit if we think that we are the authors and intenders of the thoughts that we think. She said, sometimes there's a very few moments where we are regulating our thoughts, but mostly all we can do is give direction to our thoughts, to those trains. Again, back to that rails analogy, put your train on your rails, or have build the rail so your train can go properly. Right. So we see in dreams how ideas follow ideas. We see in children's prattle, in the babble of an old man, ideas course through the mind when they're left to themselves. And they're not whimsical. They follow a law, the law of the association of ideas, by which an idea presents to the mind which recalls another idea which was at some time associated with it. She so give the example of glass i want to talk to my child about glass and he goes on oh cinderella had a glass slipper i had a godmother who gave me a boat oh yeah uncle harry went to america on a boat why don't you have spectacles which you assume uncle harry has spectacles so yeah he just keeps going and going and it's i call it toddler speak and i have to translate even for you sometimes
1: well yeah because because one thought leads to another and none of them make sense together
0: And I'm with the children most of the time, so I can connect those dots sometimes.
1: A lot better than I can.
0: Yeah. So, it's a good servant and a bad master. Again, back to that, we need to cultivate the immature will. Right. We need to make sure that we become masters of our thoughts, masters of these ideas flowing through us. Yeah.
1: She says... To be at the mercy of associations, to have no power to think what we choose and when we choose, but only as something puts it in our head, is to be no better than an imbecile. So it's a big problem if you can't actually take control of your thoughts.
0: A vigorous effort of will should enable us at any time to fix our thoughts. And again, that's the flower of a developed character. And while the child has no character to speak of only their natural disposition. Who keeps humming tops out of the geography lesson and the doll's sofa out of a French verb. And here is the secret of the weariness of the home school room. The children are thinking all the time about something else than their lessons.
1: Yeah, I will say this is a problem that I remember as a kid that I think is, is unique to all home schools is that, the place of schooling is also the place of everything else. And so you're doing your school, but you're so easily distracted by literally anything else.
0: I'm going to slightly contradict that. Okay. Because I, I have specific memories of, you know, being in my geometry class and we sat along the wall and there were four or five of us that did not ever pay attention to geometry. And As we were there, we were in a classroom. We were supposed to be paying attention. That was what it was. The, the TI-89s came out, so we all had games on our calculators, <laughs> um, which poor children, they have now cell phones, cell phones to, right. to play with. But the fact that I was at school... Did not have any bearing on the fact that I played the whole time. Because the same year before, I had the same problem. I was homeschooled in ninth grade and then tenth grade I was in public school. And I read half the time. Not schoolwork stuff.
1: Hmm.
0: And it took forever. School took forever. But I was also up in my room by myself doing X, Y, and Z. Supposedly staying on task. Sorry, Mom. (laughs) (laughs) and and i and i it was the same both at home and in the school building and i think it's more applied to the immaturity of the will than applied to the the place because now as an adult you have that willpower to say i'm at work i need to do work and where that pull is different here at home because it's, i'm at home but i'm doing work so you have the same pull from both right so i i think it's a little more Towards the will of the child than the location.
1: Yeah, I, I guess that makes sense. I, I just know that location is important.
0: I'm not saying it's not. I'm just I, I don't think it's the end all to be all.
1: No, and that's not where that's not what I was saying. All I was saying is that it is important. And I think it's a I think it's a thing to keep in mind. That this this statement here, she says, uh, you know, the little girl says to her governess, uh, there are so many things more interesting than lessons to think about. And, yeah, that's true for for anywhere you are. And that's why we need to train in the habit of attention. But if you're at home, you you have your toys nearby Mm -hmm. and you have your books on the on the shelf that you want to read and you have your backyard that you can play in. So, yes, yes, it is, it is to the child's will. But I think place is also important.
0: Mm-hmm. So where's the harm? What's wrong with letting their attention wander?
1: Yeah, and she says uh, in this, it's not merely that the children are wasting time, though that is a pity. It's but that they're forming a desultory?
0: It is lacking a plan, purpose, or enthusiasm.
1: Well, I'm glad you have a definition for that because I totally just failed at pronouncing it. Uh, but they, but that they are forming a desultory habit of mind and reducing their own capacity for mental effort. So the harm isn't that they're wasting time and they're not learning the things they're supposed to learn. And that's just the pity. That's the pity. The harm is that they're destroying their habit of attention, which is exactly what you and I were well, just talking I, let
0: about. Me, let, me, let me backtrack real quick. They're not destroying a habit. They are forming A habit.
1: They're forming a contrary habit.
0: They're forming a habit that lacks purpose, that lacks enthusiasm.
1: Yes. So that, when they are in their room alone, they don't focus on their schoolwork.
0: Yeah. Why does it always come back
1: to me? Yeah, it's definitely you and not me.
0: Us. parent. Why?
1: You. Nope. You said it you.
0: Why does it always come back to the adult? Definitely you. Whatever. (laughs) Okay, so where do you start?
1: I don't know. But the baby. Oh, yeah, true.
0: As they are going from toy to toy to thing to thing, you can take that moment to train their attention a little bit longer, just for a few more minutes on that object. And that is the first lesson of attention.
1: Yeah, she says it's the, it's the mother's part to supplement the child's quick observing faculty with the habit of attention. She must see to it that he does not flit from this to this, but looks long enough at one thing to get a real acquaintance with it.
0: Way back when I was pregnant with Ian, I had a friend who had had a baby recently, and she was blogging about it. And one of the things that stuck with me is that she would not specifically not interrupt her child while her child was staring at something. She's like, you know, you, you want to do something. You want to be doing and you want to be playing and messing and but she said, no, if, if the child, if my baby is staring fixedly at something, I'm not going to break their attention. That makes sense. I'm going to let them keep that attention on that thing. So in, in our yeah. world of hustle bustle where everything's going and going, you have to be still and see that. Yeah. And, and accept it and don't pick them up at that moment because right. they don't need you at that moment.
1: Well, because you're, you're needing to train the child to be in that moment. Yeah. That's interesting.
0: She has another example about when Margaret picks up the daisy. She picks it up, sees it, and throws it away. But the mother says, no. Why do you think it's called a daisy? It's because the eye always looks at the sun, which makes it the day. What does it do at night? And then, the very likely Margaret will cuddle it up to her breast or give it a soft little kiss. I don't know who has a Margaret child. I think our children would just throw it away again. Or put it on their shelf because...
1: That's where things end up.
0: That's where that's where they, they each have their own shelf where mm-hmm. they can put their collectibles.
1: That's, that's where the thing that they truly care about would go.
0: And thus the mother will contrive ways to invest every object in the child's world with interest and delight. And that sounds exhausting. Multiplied by five. That is... What's bigger than exhausting?
1: E- exhaust... DeMundo? <laughs> Mundo. I don't know. But, again, the idea is that as you do this, you form that habit of them doing it. And so they get in that habit of looking at things more carefully and, and resting upon things.
0: That's true. But we move on. Once the mother has done this, where they have secured the child's attention for objects and so the child has learned the habit of paying attention to objects we go into the schoolroom and now you have to pay attention to words yeah even the child who has gained the habit of attention to things finds words a weariness and this is a turning point in the child's life the moment for the mother's tact and vigilance and again we've We've seen that there is a legitimate turning point around the age of six or seven. Yes, and the point is you need to capitalize on it. And how do you do that? You don't let them dawdle over the copybook or the psalm, letting them dream. and when they grow stupid over a lesson, it's time to put it away and do another lesson as unlike the last as possible, and then go back with freshened wits to his unfinished task.
1: Yeah. Well, and she goes on. She talks about, she says, the teacher should have some knowledge of the principles of education. She should know what subjects are best fitted for the child given his age. She should know how to make these subjects attractive. And she should know how to vary the lessons so that each power of the child's mind should rest after effort and some other power be called into play. So it's Wait, wait.
0: There's a fifth one. Oh, sorry. She should know how to incite the child to effort through various means. And she goes into what they are. That's a job description for a teacher that's true. She lists out these five things, and this is the job description of a teacher.
1: That's accurate. Well, there you go. She just wrote our our uh help wanted ad true <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so now she did say uh so the the fifth one is that she should know how to incite the child to effort. She says the danger she must be especially alive to is the substitution of any other natural desire for that of knowledge, which is equally natural is and is adequate for all of the purposes of education.
0: Was it in home education that she went through all of that? No, it was in parents and children. Sorry, I should have looked this up
1: earlier. Uh, show cause why, I think, is what you're looking for.
0: Is it show cause why? Maybe. Yes, the primary desires. Now, there are several desires of power, of wealth, of society, of excelling, of knowledge, of esteem, are primary springs of action. And touch them and you won't fall for a response. These desires are neither virtuous nor vicious. They stimulate to effort. Um, The balance of character is destroyed by the constant stimulation of one desire at the expense of the rest. Um, and curiosity is curiosity as active as emulation. They the child wants to know. Um, so all of that's back in parents and children, chapter twenty. So it's 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 also where she rails at against examinations,
1: but. Well, because – and she rails against examinations because the examinations are a – they're a symptom of a problem and they cause other problems. The problems being that no longer is the focus of education on learning.
0: The natural desire for that of knowledge.
1: Right. Now the focus is on winning. Yeah. On being the best, on getting the best test score. Yeah. And and she talks about some of the ways that you do that in later chapters, specifically – in Chapter Five, the Habit of remembering when she talks about how easy it is to remember something for a short time, write it down, and then forget it. We'll get there, but what she's doing here is she's she's wanting to make sure that we are not we're not using those other elements of desire too much exactly, and that we're cultivating the desire for knowledge to be that which drives them to knowledge mm-hmm.
0: And now we get into timetables. She says, "Okay, how was how how can we make this work? We know the we know why, we know what it is. We know why we need to to cultivate this habit, and here is a practical way to do it."
1: And I feel like this is more treating the child as a person and being being cognizant of the child and being considerate of the child,
0: and forcing the child to be considerate. Of the family, that also, and this is something that I have got to sit down and plan and and do. That's the that's my hard part. Is I can plan all day long. What's I have doing? to sit down and do it. Yeah. In in our home and in our in our homeschool.
1: Yeah. So what she says here is she says in the first place there's a timetable written out fairly so that the child knows what he has to do and how long each lesson is to last. The idea of definite work to be finished in a given time is valuable to the child, not only as training him in the habits of order, but in diligence. He learns that one time is not as good as another, and there is no right time left for what is not done in its own time. And this knowledge alone does a great deal to secure the child's attention to his work. So just having a timetable and sticking to it and telling the child what it is is enough to be a part of that formation of the habit. To
0: motivate the attention. Right. Short lessons, seldom more than 20 minutes in length for children under eight. For two or three reasons. One, there's not much time for that that keeps you alert. Right. And you've learned just as much as good as is to take in at one time. And as they're alternating, and this is one of the things that Charlotte Mason does well, is you alternate between the writing, the mechanical side, and the thinking lessons. So thinking and painstaking, and, and you flip between them. Yeah. And that's part of the thing about a Charlotte Mason homeschool is that typically you're done in the morning. You, she does not want you to go more than three hours in the morning, two mm-hmm. to three hours, especially in the yo- younger years. And there's no recess. Like there, there's not a recess or a break in there. Because the switching of subjects is the break itself.
1: Right. Well, and you're done in such a short period of time, you don't need the recess to reset the children. hmm And you eat lunch, and then after lunch, you go outside. And after lunch is the time for being outside and for enjoying the outside and, and doing all of those things, going for walks and, and playing and observing and all of that.
0: And afternoon activities.
1: Right, and afternoon activities, Like playing the Stare at the Sun game.
0: (laughs) Please don't teach our children that one.
1: The record is three. Brian Regan got it when he was a kid.
0: Anyways. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways. Even so, with regular lessons, short lessons, a further stimulus may be occasionally necessary to secure their attention. His desire of approbation may ask the stimulus not only of a word of praise, but something in the shape of a reward. To secure his utmost efforts. Children want rewards. Right. They're motivated by rewards.
1: Right. But the reward has to be the natural consequences of the good conduct. And this, I thought, is hugely applicable, especially to our son. Yeah. who All he wants to do is play. Yeah. And he loves to play outside and he loves to do things. And that's legitimately what she talks about here. She talks, she says, what's the natural consequence of work done and work well and quickly done? What's not it? Is it not the enjoyment of ample leisure? The boy is expected to do two right sums in 20 minutes. He does them in 10 minutes. The remaining 10 minutes are his own fairly earned in which he should be free for scamper in the garden or any delight he chooses.
0: I also really love this, but I think. In addition, if, if we start doing that that weekly meeting or even at the beginning of the day, say, okay, here's our timetable. Here's what we're doing. What are you planning to do if you're done early? So that it's already planned out. So he's not wasting time figuring out what to do.
1: And there's anticipation built in. Yeah. If I get this done quickly, I can go do the thing.
0: And right Again, you have to do it right also. So... One of the things we've done with potty training, you know, a lot of potty training, you have an M M&M and M when you get it or a sticker chart. My uh, reward for the child using the bathroom properly is that they get to flush the toilet. Ooh. So, and if they don't go to the bathroom, they don't get to flush the toilet. Oh. So that's my natural consequence it's reward. Natural, <laughs> it's a natural
1: rewarding consequence. If you poop in the potty, you get to flush your poop away. It's exciting. Oh, it is. It's uh, for some reason it is. So we get into emulation, and this goes into a little bit of what she was talking about earlier with habits inspired by the home at- atmosphere.
0: Kids want to copy what they see. Exactly. Good marks of some kind are usually the rewards, the rewards of those who do best, and it's urged that the good that these good marks are often the cause of ungenerous rivalry. Mm-hmm. So. We are training children to live in the world, and in this world, we do get good marks of one kind or another, whether it's in football or tennis or picture painting or poem making. So if the child's to go out into this emulous world, why, it may be possibly, it may possibly be well that he should be brought up at emulous school. But here's where the mother's work comes in. She can teach her child to be first without vanity, to be last without bitterness, She can bring him up in such a hearty outgoing of love and sympathy that joy in his brother's success takes the sting out of his own failure and regret for his brother's failure leaves no room for self-glorification. And if marks are given, then they should be given for conduct rather than cleverness, which the conduct should be within everyone's reach. Punctuality, order, attention, diligence, obedience, gentleness, everyone can do those. Yeah, they can. Regardless of how well they do their math.
1: Well, and here we go with another of her zingers. She says, emulation becomes suicidal when it's used as the incentive to intellectual effort. Because the desire for knowledge subsides in proportion as the desire to excel becomes active. So if you give kids excellent marks for being smart, the kids that aren't as smart or aren't as quick aren't going to work to get better. They're just going to know that the other kid is smarter and knows more stuff than them.
0: Mm-hmm. Also, the next motive that is dangerous to use is affection. Uh, do it. You you trade on your feelings. Do this or that to please mother. Don't mm-hmm. grieve mother. And if you do that too often, the child's going to be like, um, I'm, I I'm going to do it and say it, but I because I don't want you to think that I don't love you. But that's not true. Yeah. So you're having to to trade off love and truthfulness.
1: Yeah. If you use it too frequently, then the relationship between the parent and the child, she says, it becomes embarrassing. The true motives of action will be obscured and the child unwilling to appear unloving will end in being untrue. So the child's going to do the thing because he believes that his parents love him because he's doing it but not because he wants to do it and so when asked the question do you want to do this the answer is well yes but it's a lie because the child knows that if he doesn't mom's gonna say she doesn't love him
0: and that's just a bad cycle
1: it is it is and and I and it goes that goes back even further to the fact that a parent's love for their children should be unconditional mm-hmm. the the love for a child isn't based on what the child does the love for the child is based on the fact that The child is the parent's child. Mm -hmm.
0: Of course, the most obvious means of quickening and holding the attention of the child lies in the attractiveness of knowledge itself and in the real appetite for knowledge with which they are endowed. Here we go. Here's another zinger. This one's a little bit more disguised. But how successful faulty teachers are in curing children of any desire to know is to be seen in many a schoolroom. Yep. That I mean, you have to read it like three times to be like, she's saying what? (laughs)
1: She's saying basically, she's saying that there's a lot of teachers out there who are great at getting their kids to not care about learning. Yeah, basically. Uh huh. I like that summary. Yeah, right. (laughs) You you just kind of have to turn it around a little bit and read it backwards.
0: I shall later, however, have the opportunity for a few words on this subject. So she's going to leave that alone. I'm going to (laughs) poke the bear and run away.
1: So now she finally gets to... Again,
0: again, this is a lecture to women in her community. Right. She's like, ah.
1: There are, and, and you know that there were teachers listening to her when she read that. <laughs> exactly. And there were a lot of them that that ruffled their feathers up. She's like, we'll get there. We'll just wait. L- keep listening, though.
0: And now she finally gets around to describing attention.
1: Yeah, finally. This is where we finally get to her description. She says, attention is hardly even an operation of the mind, but is simply the act by which the whole mental force is applied to the subject in hand. Which I know you read earlier, but I figured it bared repeating.
0: Mm -hmm. And this act of bringing the whole mind to bear may be trained into a habit at the will of the parent or the teacher who attracts and holds the child's attention by means of a sufficient motive.
1: Well, and as the child gets older... He's taught to bring his own will to bear to make himself attend in spite of the most inviting suggestions from without. Because, again, it's the parent's job to work themselves out of a job. Mm -hmm. So to be successful at our job, we have to have our children be able to learn on their own and to have the motivation for learning come from within.
0: Oh, the motivation for doing anything.
1: Well, true, but specifically here, the motivation for learning.
0: And and again, I think that's why she's spending so much time on this, because it is that important the the ability to bring your will to bear to make yourself attend in spite of the most inviting suggestions from without is huge right i i mean we i still struggle with i'm not going to lump you in with me but i still struggle with it I, i do too i i would much rather do like sit on the couch and watch a movie than do the dishes
1: uh, an example from work I can give. Uh, I've got an intern who just started behind me and sits in my little area and we have an open office format, which is pretty common these days and I don't think it's going anywhere because for some reason someone decided it was a good thing, even though statistically it's not. anyway I, so so we were I was having a conversation with a with another colleague and it was totally not work related and he was dragged into this conversation. And after the conversation, the guy that was feeding him work started to get on his case a little bit about, hey, you've got to have this stuff done by the end of the day. And he's like, I, I know I, I need to get it done. And he was looking at me like, why are you guys so why, why were you bringing me into that conversation? I was like, we were having a conversation. You were there. You're in charge of your own of your own ability to be a part of the conversation or not. And I said, you know, the universal symbol in an open office that you don't want to be a part of the conversation is to put your headphones in. And he was like, all right, cool. So we talked about that. Well, a couple days later I was having a conversation with another coworker and this, and this guy had his headphones in and, and he still got dragged into the conversation. And afterwards he's like, you told me that the universal symbol was to have my headphones in. And I was like, yeah, we weren't talking to you. You joined the conversation. This is a thing that you have to do. If your headphones are in, that tells us to not mess with you, but you have to have the, the, the ability to ignore the conversation that's going on around you and focus on your work. I said, if that means you have to turn your music up louder, turn your music up louder. If that means you have to get up and leave and then come back, then you get up and leave and come back. But it's up to you to not be a part of the conversation,
0: Hmm.
1: which he was kind of blown away at that. It wasn't up to him or it wasn't up to us to make his work environment conducive to him working like, no, you're the one that's doing the work. Mm -hmm. It's your work environment. You have to make it be what it is. Interesting. Yeah.
0: That's, that's very, very applicable.
1: It, It was. Well, and I don't know if you had anything else in this section, but I think the quote at the end is powerful. She says, for whatever the natural gifts of the child, it is only insofar as the habit of attention is cultivated in him that he is able to make use of them.
0: Well, I have the first part of this paragraph of underlined.
1: We, we tend to do this.
0: It is impossible to overstate the importance of this habit of attention. And then the quote that she has here says, "To It is, to quote words of weight, within the reach of everyone and should be made the primary object of all mental discipline. That's from Mental Psychology by Dr. Carpenter.
1: Uh, Uh, Again. Shocking.
0: I know. That's like what her whole habit training is based on. Right. I feel like I should actually go read that book. Or at least the habit training section of that book.
1: (laughs) Go get the cliff notes for it. So the the next thing we talk about is the secret of overpressure.
0: One of the most fertile causes of an overdone brain is a failure in the habit of attention. I suppose we're all ready to admit that it's not to the things that we do, but the things that we fail to do, which fatigue us with a sense of omission, with the weight of – the worry of hurry overtaking our tasks. What do you remember? Do you remember the things that you check off your list or the things that you have left to do on your list? it's
1: always the things I've got left to do. Me too.
0: (laughs) Again, for her too. I think it's human nature.
1: Well, and ask any sports star and they'll tell you the things that they remember is losing. Doesn't matter how many times they won.
0: It's that one that they lost. the one that
1: they lost. And that's true for me, too. I remember all the times that I lost, but rarely do I remember when we won.
0: So, she kind of says, let them have this mistake. The wandering wits hinder a lesson from being fully taken in at the right moment. Again, you have your 20 minutes for your math sums. You don't do them. You don't go back to them, necessarily. Yeah that was the moment for them that lesson becomes a bugbear continually wanted henceforth and never there so that sense of loss tries the young scholar more than would the attentive reception of a dozen such lessons again that you focus on the loss yeah that's exactly what this is yeah and i'm not sure how to do this because you As a teacher, you're going, no, you have to know everything. You have to, you can't miss it. But she's almost saying, you know, you might have to let them miss it.
1: Yes. Well, and and it only only applies in so much as the child actually is caring. Yeah. And so you can't start out with this because at the beginning, the child's not going to have the habit of attention. They're Mm -hmm. not going to have the desire and the want to learn. Unless they do, at which point if they really care about learning a thing and the timer goes off and, you're like, well, we're done and the child can be devastated. and But, like, well, then maybe tomorrow pay more attention. Mm-hmm. Then maybe tomorrow be a part of what we're doing and we'll get through more of it because it's fascinating to you.
0: Well, and then she's got the, the kids that stay up till half past nine or to 10 o'clock in his books. We never see the children
1: <laughs> doing homework.
0: They let their children and and she's expecting that it's because they're mooning over it and not having attention. And that's exactly what I did. And mm-hmm. as a high schooler, that's, what that's exactly about. what I did. They let their children go on a course which is absolutely ruinous to both bodily health and brain power. And the fault's not the not in the lessons. So she says, you know, don't let them have that much homework. <laughs> Allow them at the utmost
1: an hour and a half for their homework. Well, so that's that's the first solve, the first fix, is to not give them that much.
0: Oh, not give them that much time. It, it's irregardless of how much the teacher gives.
1: Oh, I guess that's true.
0: It's no. You as a parent say, you have an hour and a half to do your homework. Mm-hmm. If you can't get your homework done in an hour and a half, I'm not going to be sympathetic. You're, you're a defaulter, and you need to be here. We are starting a game in a storybook. We are having family time. Yeah. And then they will be able to do their homework in an hour and a half.
1: Well, because they have they have that desire to and the want to because the next thing is starting and if they don't get it done by then, then they're out.
0: Yeah, they don't get the the they don't get to turn in finished homework. Yeah. And at the same time, she goes into a side tangent. At any rate, the giving of homework to children under 14 is greatly to be deprecated. <laughs> the gate the the gain of a combination of home and school life is lost to the children, and a very full scheme of schoolwork may be carried through in the morning hours. She says, you know, teachers, you can do all your teaching in the morning. Make it happen.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a common plea that I hear from parents and children alike, is that there's too much homework.
0: Yeah. So, rewards and punishments relative to the consequences of conduct. This we touched on a tiny bit earlier. There is a law by which all rewards and punishments should be regulated. They should be the natural or at any rate, the relative consequences of conduct. And it should imitate as nearly as may be without injury to the child, the treatment of the treatment, which such and such conduct deserves and receives in afterlife. So this is the story of Rosamund and the purple jar. Is kind of a folk tale, fairy tale type story. Okay. There's a girl who's walking through this the town with her mother and sees the toys. She's like, Oh mother, I like all the toys. Oh mother, I like all these things. If only I could have all the things. And then she sees this gorgeous purple jar in the chemist's the the chemist window. She's like, Mother, the purple jar and mother's like, Well, do you want to actually go look at it? She's like, no, I just, I love it. And they keep going. They go to the shoe shop because the child's shoes are wearing out. She's getting rocks in them. She says, okay, we can get you shoes or we can get you the jar. Make up your mind. Says, oh, mother, you'll think me silly if I choose the jar. No, 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 no. You do what makes <laughs> you happy. No. What did she choose? The purple jar. The, mother, I I can," She said, I will not buy you in the rest of this month. I will not buy you shoes. Mother, I want the purple jar. I can go another month in my shoes. So they go buy the purple jar. She wants to put flowers in it. She finds out that the purple is actually the liquid inside that she had to dump out to put the <laughs> flowers in. And it's just a clear glass jar so she just
1: pours out the water
0: well whatever it was the liquid, whatever concoction the liquid she put it in a bowl she's like, she's like mother can i borrow a bowl that wasn't part of the arrangement but i guess <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome
1: oh that's hilarious
0: and so she didn't even get the purple jar because it wasn't really what she saw it wasn't actually the right
1: but that was the consequence of her not thinking through her actions there's more oh gosh it goes on
0: it does and it's awesome <laughs> well, she she her, one her feet hurt. She keeps getting rocks in her shoes and then she can't go out with her mother on these long walks that they love. And then the the, the biggest point, her father's going to go see this glass house, probably like a I don't know. I don't know where they – go to see a glass house and it's going to take her and her brothers. So she runs down the stairs having to like fix her shoes every every other step. Her father looks at her feet and says, Look at you, you're slipshod. I'm not going to have somebody slipshod walking with me. And she doesn't get to go. Oh. Because of her choice to not get new shoes, she doesn't get to do this thing that she really loves. Oh, that
1: was a hard lesson.
0: So, yeah, she's saying, you know, little girls don't often pine after purple jars. But that we should suffer for our willfulness and getting what is unnecessary by doing without what is necessary is precisely one of the lessons of life we all have to learn. And therefore, it's the right sort of lesson to teach a child.
1: Yeah, because as adults, we get to make that choice on a daily basis. Do I want to do this or do I want to do that?
0: Do I want to buy candy or do I want to buy real food?
1: Yeah. And as a kid, it's not as big a deal. But as a parent, you have to make that choice. Yeah. And if you only have but so much money, like I think all of us do, yep. that, that's a real choice.
0: Yep. And And mother let the daughter make that choice. She said, no, it's... You make that choice.
1: Yeah, and then live with the consequences.
0: <clears throat> mm-hmm. And she told her the consequence right up front.
1: Yep. Again, having the conversation, mm-hmm. treating the treating the child as a person. So
0: I thought it was very applicable to tell that story.
1: Yeah. Well, as she goes on, she says, it's an, it's evident that to administer rewards and punishments on this principle requires patient consideration and steady determination on the mother's part. She must consider with herself what faults of disposition, the child's misbehaving springs from. She must aim her punishment at that fault and must brace herself to see her child suffer present loss for his lasting gain.
0: I have that underlined too.
1: So it's this, it's in this example, the mother knew that her child's shoes were going to continue to deteriorate. Yeah. She knew it. She probably didn't know that dad was going to take him to a glass house where the children shouldn't throw rocks. (laughs) Which has nothing to do with this that we read. Um, But she, you know, she might not have known that exact situation, but she knew that stuff would come up. She knew that she goes on walks with her child. She knew that her child wouldn't be able to go on those walks with her. Yep. She knew what her child was going to be giving up.
0: And she also knew that the thing was not what it looked
1: like. Exactly. She knew that it was just the liquid in a clear vase. And even if it was a cool purple vase, what did that gain the child? The child still was going to miss out on on all the things. It could have been the most beautiful vase ever but mm-hmm. the child even after looking at it in sheer amazement and wonder over multiple days mom said a month yeah genie uh, in a bottle might not be good enough for a month <laughs> especially if you're jafar so uh, it, it's um, i i think i think where she ends up here is is very important we have to we have to make we have to make sure we're darn sure about the consequence that our, our children are going to be having because if and, we're not then they're going to sit in them and we're going to have to let them sit in it.
0: And that it's at the right at the root of the cause, or the right. root cause of the issue. And again, she goes back to the, you know, t- getting 10 extra minutes on your lessons. The mother has to make sure that the child who gains the reward does not get equalized with the child that does not gain the reward. Because it's a fault or it's it's worse for the child who fails to be able to be, "Oh yeah, you can go play too." It's worse for that child when she deliberately encourages him to repeat his shortcoming. Right. So she goes on to last little bit. In many cases, the natural consequence of the child's fault is precisely which it is her business to avert. So you have to find a consequence related to the fault, which will have an educative bearing on the child. For instance, if the boy neglects his studies, the natural consequence is that he remains ignorant. Again, another zinger. But to allow him to do so would be criminal neglect on the part of the parent.
1: So you have to figure out what natural consequence makes sense.
0: And what related consequence in a natural consequence that is detrimental to a child. You're right. You need to find an educative related consequence. Related
1: consequence.
0: And this is the same. You know, if you don't study, then you don't get to go outside and play. Right. If you, or if you don't study appropriately in the time given, you don't get to go outside and play. Right. So.
1: Yeah. So, <sighs> so that's the habit of attention. That was a long one. Told you. Oh, man. That was a lot of pages. I remember as I read 14, through that, I, you know, Because
0: getting, we had the two with the front.
1: Ugh, yeah, that was, a, that was a long section. So, yeah, thanks to everyone who's uh, still hanging out listening to us ramble on about the habit of attention. Uh, if you made it this far, thanks. Good on you, I guess. There and you go. I hope you got something out of it. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening. Join the conversation with us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter.